What's up, everybody, and welcome to PPR Podcast number 69, presented by Renovation Realty. As always, I'm Chase Isidoro, and we welcome back to the show your South Bay Game of the Week reporter, Bo Fertig. Bo, welcome back to the podcast. Chase, it's nice being back. It's nice to see you finally got a haircut. <laughs> if I only knew it would take me getting back on this podcast for you to get a haircut, <laughs> I probably would have did it a couple of weeks ago, but... Uh, that's rock and roll, baby. Yeah, I'm getting ready. You know, got to look good for the podcast, got to look good for the playoffs, and got to look good for the gala coming up. So it was yeah, definitely exactly. time. It was, it was getting a little wild in there. But usually, you know, <laughs> we always recap a good amount of shows, and then we preview about 50-50 of each. Uh, we're going to do a lot more previewing this week, and really we're going to spend just about the only time recapping, which was the biggest game from this past weekend, the game that you were at, Bo. St. Augustine 13 against Eastlake 6. What was kind of your biggest impression from the Saints team? Um, you know, we've talked about them all year, about them being freshmen. But at the beginning of the year, I don't think any of us would have said they're going to go win a playoff game with all these freshmen that are starting. What was kind of yeah. your big impact from watching them? You kind of took the words right out of my mouth. They have definitely exceeded expectations getting that first playoff win. And it was the freshmen to lead the, to lead the way for them. You know, Parker Johnson had that three passing or three receiving touchdowns the week before and then comes up with those two clutch plays on defense with that quarterback sack and that interception at the end of the game. But quarterback Brady Palmer is going to be a power five quarterback. The Saints dual threat QB can make all the throws from the pocket, was making throws rolling to his left on the wide side of the field with the flick of a wrist. The arm strength is definitely there and his legs give him another dimension to his game. He was picking up first downs with big chunks really all night long with his legs. Uh, it was impressive to see the dual threat quarterback go at it. And Eastlake QB Fabian Gerbella, who really wasn't a quarterback to start the season, but he has continued to impress. This is the fourth time I've seen him this season, and he's gotten better and better at the quarterback position. He went toe for toe, throw for throw, run for run against Palmer, but Eastlake just really ran out of time at the end of that game. Gerbella also leads the defense. 120 plus total tackles and he plays middle linebacker wow not too many guys can say they start yeah. at middle linebacker and start at quarterback you know overall the game was really good for a d1 matchup eight versus nine i would give it a solid b if i had to very few penalties uh there was just that one turnover at the end because Eastlake was trying to push the ball downfield but good tackling hard running there was a lot to like about this game yeah just- both coaching staffs had their guys ready uh hats off to them yeah, just good overall playoff game, honestly. And, um, yeah, you know, it was. Whenever we hear from Parker Johnson, it's usually because he caught three touchdowns or something like that, and we've seen that a lot. But to see him ball out on the defensive side of the ball like that, that was awesome to see. And really, you know, when we talk to these kids after the game, sometimes, you know, some of these kids are a little nervous. They can't really, you know, articulate what they as best as they can. Um, but to see a freshman like that, just the way he talked after the game in his soundbite was incredible too. We had this game for our seniors, and one of our transfers, Parker Patterson, this game was really big to him because he came here from Eastlake. And so he just had our backs through the whole game, and we had his super family. Uh, I, I love this team. It was, it was a great W. The quarterback sack, it was the first time we ever ran a blitz like that, and I just had to trust in my coach's instincts and trust in my safety who was over top of me. I mean, sky's the limit for that kid. And Brady Palmer, it's not just how well he throws the ball. It's the zip that he has on the ball as well. His arm strength is incredible and how he just – like threads the needle on some passes. I mean, they're both going to be phenomenal going down the stretch. Um, we'll get into, you know, previewing their next round matchup right. in a little bit. But really, we got to start with the open division for what will be the best week 
of high school football this year as far as matchups go, as far as games. Mm -hmm. This is the one that you are going to want to get out there and watch these live in person. We start with the Thursday night special, Carlsbad versus Poway. Huge matchup. I could see these kind of going either way. You know, I, I was sitting there like, okay, Carlsbad, we know they are like so deep with talent on their team. Can Poway actually play up to them, especially because they haven't played really a team like this since week one against Granite Hills. I think, though, that we've seen kind of the recipe to defeat Carlsbad, or at least try to put yourself in a game against Carlsbad, and that's winning in the trenches. We saw a close game with Mission Hills, who's good in the trenches. We saw a close game against El Camino. You go back to last season, where Cathedral really dominated them in the trenches in the Open Division final game. However, that said, we haven't seen them lose, except for last year. You know, So we see the recipe for how you can probably go out there and beat Carlsbad, but can people actually still do it? That remains to be seen. But Poway has that potential with the guys on their O-line and D-line, and of course with Connor Rath. How do you kind of see this game playing out? It's the Avocado League winner versus the Palomar League winner. So that's gonna be an exciting matchup just to see those two top teams out of those leagues. Really, can the Titans slow down the passing game of the Lancers, like you said? They'll have to get the same by bringing the pressure, but that leaves you one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. And Carlsbad has size and athleticism. Yeah. You have six-foot-four wide receiver Griffin Rosenblum, who has six touchdowns. Kind of reminds me of like a Jordy Nelson type. Justin Johnson can burn past you and run routes like a Stefan Diggs. And Michigan commit Zach Marshall. They move him all over the formation. He's hard to stop. No one has really been able to do that this season. And you really can't talk about this offense without mentioning junior running back, Mason Walsh. He cracked a thousand yards rushing and added 14 rushing touchdowns on the season. He's kind of like a yin and yang of this offense. Yeah. He really keeps he really keeps them balanced. And he's been, uh, and he's defense been blowing up these last couple of weeks as yeah. well. It's like he's a like defense having like three touchdowns. Just games. Stick, stick to defending the run or the pass. And Walsh is really that guy that opens up this playbook for him. And, you know, like you said, can Carlsbad slow down? Silver Pigskin nominee, Connor Rath, averages 80, 182 yards per game. But the fault, maybe not because of the lack of ability to pass the ball, but they only have seven pass attempts. They average seven pass attempts per game. That's a bit one-dimensional to me when you're talking about playing against a team like Carlsbad. It helps that they do play ahead, and it, it helps that they have a great running attack. But... When you talk about all those guys from Carlsbad and then one guy from Poway, you almost have to give the edge to Carlsbad in this one. But with that being said, I've seen dominating run games slow down an offense. You know, a game that comes to mind for me, Mission Bay, Montgomery, in week five, if the Titans dominate the time of possession, they have a good shot. Yeah. But the I one thing I'm really looking forward to is we're going to see what this front seven of Carlsbad is all about because that Poway O-line is one of the best in the county. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I think what I look back to would probably be Helix versus Lincoln last year, where you really look at that Helix team and it's like, all right, it's going to be through Christian Washington. And it was. Almost every single play was going to him. And they really, because they were able to just run down the clock and control the time of possession, they made it so Lincoln couldn't mess up. They couldn't slip up. They couldn't throw an interception, which they did, uh, I think, multiple times. And that's the way um, Poway is going to have to play in this game to keep them in this game. Because if Carlsbad gets up to an early lead, I don't think they have the capacity 
to throw and keep them in them. You know, they're going to have to run it with uh, with Connor Rath because that's that's how they're going to have to live or die. If they can get out to an early lead and Carlsbad's not dead by any chance, but then they can control the game, they can control the tempo, and you know that's going to be the the recipe for how Poway's going to win. Um, but it's really going to come up to the guys in the trenches for Carlsbad. Now's the time to step up because that's what's going to elevate them to the next level and winning the Open Division is if those guys in the trenches play their best games they have um, over these next two games that they have. I would probably give the edge to Carlsbad at the moment because I think the guys on the outside are just a little bit too much for Poway, but I could totally see a scenario where you know Poway makes this as physical as possible and we see the close game or the close score like El Camino did against Carlsbad or like Mission Hills did against Carlsbad, but the one you know factor is those teams didn't beat them. Carlsbad still finds the way to win and I think they might right. do it just again. Um, but yeah. we get to the other matchup which will be the game of the week this Friday night, the rematch, Lincoln versus Madison. Do you see anything changing from the rematch from, what, two weeks ago now? I, I, I think it might get a little bit worse with Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln might beat Madison by a little bit more, although I still think Madison's defense is totally capable of keeping them in their game. You know, it was 7-6 heading into that half. Uh, uh, it was 7-6 until Madison had that crucial special teams penalty under 20 seconds, and then uh, Robert, Roger Robinson ran it in to give them a 14-6 lead at recess. But the Warhawks did find success early in that game with their running attack of Brown and Bryant. Uh, Jake Jackson was really a non-factor in that first half, but did get on the other side of that corner in the second half. So I wouldn't be surprised if they try to take a couple shots early because this Lincoln defense is the best in the county. They're going to have to get some big hits downfield uh, in order to keep up with this offense. You talked about Christian Washington last year. You know, he averaged more than 40-plus touches in these big games down the stretch. And Lincoln has done a really good job in really keeping Robinson fresh. He's only had three games with 20 or more rushes, and they sound like this. 20 rushes for 307 against St. Bonaventure. Come back and put on an all-star performance against Modern Day Live TV. 32 rushes. 476 yards, eight touchdowns, and then comes against Cathedral, 24 carries for 217. Every time this guy touches the ball more than 20 times, he gets stronger as the game goes on. Madison linebacker James Tavao and that front seven actually did a really good job against Robinson. They only held him to six yards per carry. That's half of what he averages on the season. So it'll be interesting to see. I would be surprised if Robinson didn't get 20-plus touches in this one. I think so, too, and I think, you know, we look at the Poway game and them controlling the tempo. I think Lincoln absolutely has that right because we know their defense can make stops left and right, and Lincoln's offense is more than capable of putting up points very quickly. If they can get out to an early lead here, I think they just hand the ball off to Rod and just, you know, grind it down because Madison has a quick-strike offense at times where – they can get themselves back into a game, and especially their defense as well. You know, you know, I, it's no given that Lincoln goes down the field and scores on them constantly. However, I think that Robinson didn't look as good in that Madison game, um, whether that be injury or some or just Madison's defense being that great. I think he'll probably play up to a little bit better of a standard now that it's playoff time, and I expect him to have a really big game because he is so difficult where you get that tackle on him where he's still got three to four yards, but you feel like it was a small victory. And then he gets the huge run where it's like, man, they're going to keep running it to him about five or six more times now. And that alone can break down a defense's soul, really. Um, but I, 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 you know, I'm not counting out the Warhawks. They definitely have it on defense. No, but no. Um, 
I'd be surprised if Lincoln lost this one. I really would. I think they're, I think they're going to rise to the test again, and especially having just played this team, I think they're more than capable of beating them yet again. When you play against Robinson, you have to hit him before he gets downfield. Yeah. And that means meeting him at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage before his legs get started. Rally to the ball, get multiple helmets on him. Uh, that's the key to success in stopping Robinson. Easier said than done. Yeah, they have to, Madison's defense really has to be aggressive in that fact because they can't wait to see how the play develops. They have to kind of almost sell out at times to kind of force Lincoln's hand to throw it because, like you said, once he gets to that second level, it becomes five times as hard to, to bring him down. Um, and you can't stack the box because yeah. they have great athletes on the outside. Exactly. So choose your poison yeah, if you're going against Lincoln. Yeah, it's good. that'll be a great game, though. I think it will... Um, kind of live up to the expectations yet again. Uh, but now right. we move to the D1 playoffs and the game that you'll be covering, the South Bay game of the week, Modern Day versus La Costa Canyon. I, I didn't know how to feel about Modern Day after those big losses to all the teams they scheduled at the beginning of the year. But now I almost feel like they might be the favorites coming out of D1 just because how well they've played. And, it, and we almost have another situation like last year where the whole, um, you know, did they play cupcakes going down the stretch run? I think that's kind of returned here in like, I think it might be another chip on their shoulder. And I think the biggest chip on their shoulder is they wanted this. They wanted D1, and they scheduled big-time players in D1 to get the Open. That didn't work out. Now they get another chance of redemption to prove that they're capable of beating these teams. And they get a very good Lacosta Canyon team. Connor Anachirico had an incredible game. He was our top performer from this previous week. I do think Modern Day might have too many star players on offense and defense for LCC to handle. But... You know, we've also seen Modern Day kind of playing these games where they get a lot of penalties. Or it kind of gets to them. Maybe that's not the case because it's not a Lincoln. It's not a cathedral. Um, but I, I, until we see Modern Day play to, up to this level again, I think it's really going to be the chip on their shoulder that they can prove that they can play at this level. Well, I think LCC has something to prove as well yeah. because they play in the Avocado League and people are overlooking them. There's no such thing as a cakewalk in D1, especially in this round. But I do get where you're going with that. Uh, we know the recipe in slowing down this offense of modern day. We saw it uh, when they played against Cathedral Catholic. Put pressure on the QB, Dominic Nankill, and limit the big plays. But as we know, that's easier said than done. Yeah. As Nankill is at his best when the play breaks down. When you talk about the county's best scrambling quarterback, I would say it's the USD commit. Anthony McMillan has filled the void nicely in the backfield. Uh, the Crusaders' defense really is good enough to keep the game close. And an effective run game can really open up that pass game, so look out for that. You know, the really a good run game will also up, open up the RPO for Dom and his fast and furious wide receivers on the outside. You know, can the Mavericks really keep up with this high-powered offense of the Crusaders? They put up against they when they played against uh, Carlsbad, they put up a goose egg. So we saw Carlsbad in modern day battle it out. So that might give you a little idea, but then they put 32 against Torrey the following week and then 41 against Steel Canyon in round one of playoffs. So like you mentioned, the Crusaders started the season 0-4, then winning their last six, outscoring their opponents 281-0. to They are on a mission, and it's going to be a good matchup for the three six seeds. And then the winner of that one will play Torrey Pines and Cathedral. Yeah, Battle of Del Mar Heights Road. Always love to see that. It was kind of disappointing right. to see them not play each other in the regular season, but makes it almost even sweeter now that they get to play each other in the postseason. Um, I'm not so sure on Torrey Pines on this one. Great win against RB, um, an RB team that was very hot coming down the stretch. But I, I think this Cathedral defense is a little too much for them, I would say. 
Um, I think Torrey Pines is still kind of figuring out what they want to do. Um, but I think this Cathedral team and this Cathedral offense has been getting it going later down the stretch run. You know, hasn't played the, the greatest of teams, but they have been uh, performing better with Will Bond and guys like that. Um, I think, though, this Cathedral defense will make it extremely difficult for Torrey Pines. Um, I, and especially in a game like this where it, the tensions will be high between Torrey and, and Cathedral, I know firsthand what that's like. Um, I would expect Cathedral to win this one kind of easily. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. This is Cathedral's game to lose. When you talk about the Falcons, they have won the games they were supposed to, and there were really no surprises when they lost. Uh, kind of like you and I, I'm sure. I'd love to see a modern-day Cathedral Catholic matchup from week one. And I think football fans would be extra excited for that one as well. Absolutely. You know, Madden Faremo, Victory Johnson, and safety Marcus Radcliffe. Those three guys are the backbone of this defense and really the best we have in the county. When you talk about going from that front line to the back of the secondary. And uh, yeah, Torrey Pines is going to have to play their best game of the season to pull out the win here this week. And now the other side of the D1 bracket, we talk about now, we talked about the Saints, and then now they're going to be taking on the one seed in Mission Hills. Can this freshman team rise up to the standard again? Because this Mission Hills team is very good and also a team that was very hot down the stretch as well. For me, I'm probably going to say no. I think Mission Hills probably has just a little too much, especially in the ground game with Santiago Salas, and especially with their front seven, guys like Henry Davis. I think they're probably just a little too much and probably a little too big for the Saints team. Um, I think that's probably where they're going to lose this one. But I wouldn't be surprised if Saints can pull themselves into the game. They've kept themselves in big games before. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep them in it, but I do think Mission Hills walks away with this one. What about you? The Saints, you know, we talk about the Avocado League and the Western League. Those are the two best leagues in the county. Mission Hills is really the second best team in the Avocado League. The Saints are the fourth best team in the Western League. Saints played against Lincoln, Madison, and Cathedral, their last three games of the regular season, only lost to Cathedral by two touchdowns. So when you talk about starting nine freshmen, these nine freshmen are now playing with confidence. And let me put it in perspective, too. I said this Friday night. Coach Gladnick was at Torrey Pines for eight seasons. He started one freshman all eight seasons at Torrey Pines. And to start nine freshmen this year, that's just insane. Um, but when you talk about these top two teams, it is that front seven. Mission Hills is big up front. Yeah, They, they are massive up front. They're a, a typical D1 team. Chris Hauser always has those guys ready. It's a true underdog story, kind of David versus Goliath. Uh, the Saints are really going to have to bring their A game to, to pull out the win in this one. Yeah, I agree. I, I just think it, it just might be a bridge too far for these freshmen. But, um, I mean, if they go out like this and they've still got the one playoff victory, that's huge for that program yeah. moving forward. Uh, I spoke to Gladnick before that game quickly, and he said the turning point was against Cathedral Catholic. Even though they lost by two scores, he saw a lot of great things out of quarterback Brady Palmer and those freshmen. So, don't expect the blowout in this one. This one's going to be closer than a lot of people think. I kind of agree. Um, and we move to the who they will be playing. The winner will be between the winner of Helix and El Camino. You know, Helix, we last saw them quadruple overtime loss to a very good Granite Hills team. Um, I, I think this one can be very surprising for uh, Helix because this El Camino team, I've said it all year, 
they are really good and they can grind down games. We keep seeing them. Um, Tate Reed had a great game. We saw Zuriel Eatman have great games, but that defense has been phenomenal all season. And this is a, now a rematch of last year's semifinal game. Um, so both teams kind of trying to get back at each other for um, last game as well. I think Helix has something to prove after losing that game to Granite Hills. Kind of might be the um, awakening the sleeping giant that is Helix. I think, I think they have everything that's capable of beating a team like El Camino because they have the run game, Kevin Allen, uh, Cisneros. You know, I think they're more than capable of doing it, but I, you know, I think El Camino stays in this game 100%, if I'm being honest. It, as you mentioned, it will be interesting to see the Highlanders respond after losing in quadruple overtime. Last game of the season, last play of the regular season. So how will they respond in this one after a bye week? We know El Camino is big up front. Can the Highlanders offense, for me, keep them off balance between the pass and run? And I think they can. We talked about balance offenses before. Quarterback Ryland Jesse threw for 2,700, or excuse me, 27 passing touchdowns, 1,700 passing yards. Uh, he's really taking command of this offense and has great skilled guys around him. Wide receiver Quincy Heron uh, leads the team with 40 receptions and 11 touchdowns. And you also have Adrian Parker on the outside as well. You mentioned Allen. He's electric out of the backfield, second on the team with 23 receptions and 16 total touchdowns. To me, he is the X factor on offense and really keeps this offense with balance. You can't, you can't uh, keep eyes on the backfield um, because you have receivers on the outside and vice versa. El Camino plays against good competition, another avocado league team. So individual stats don't pop out to me, but that's because week in and week out, they are playing against top teams. Uh, the Wildcats are good. They lost to, they lost by six against Carlsbad. They lost by one to Mission Hills. Both of those are number one seeds in the open ND1. You're going to have to play your A game or Helix will get clawed out of the playoffs if they don't come right. Absolutely, I agree. So now we move on to... D2, and we start with Christian versus Mira Mesa, which is a big rematch. Christian got the better of Mira Mesa and went on to win the Eastern League. To me, I think this Mira Mesa team has proven to be a very good team. I, I might be putting them as the favorites in this one, but I, this Christian team has also been phenomenal down the stretch run. Um, where do you kind of see that one shaking out? This is another rematch from a month ago. Uh, Mira Mesa looking to get redemption on Christian. They lost to the Patriots 21-20. The Patriots defense held quarterback Tyson line in check. Uh, he only completed less than 40% of his passes. It comes down to two players for me. Makai Thompson, the running back out of Mira Mesa versus the quarterback of Christian, Jake Davila. Well, either of those two guys, whoever has the best game, I give the edge to. Yeah, I kind of tend to agree. And the winner of that will be playing the winner of Granite Hills and La Jolla. And I think this Granite Hills team has, I mean, I think their eyes are on the prize for CIF title this year, especially after the quadruple overtime win against Helix. You know, they can't be caught looking forward because this Loyola Hoya team has a very good offense, but I, I, don't think they're, I don't think they're up for it to beat this Granite Hills team. Not from what I've seen personally watching them. Granite Hills is phenomenal on both sides of the ball. They're hitting their stride at the right time. They're going to be a tough out. But I love the coaching staff at La Jolla, Coach Chris, Coach Kiki, Coach Roach. Those guys have their boys ready, so that should be a good one as well. And the other side of that bracket, we will now have another rematch, Central versus Brawley, which will be a great game out there in the desert. Um, and then I, I tend to look at the Central team and think they're probably going to be one of the toughest outs in the playoffs because we know how they run the ball, um, especially with Charlie Sullivan. I, I kind of think I'm leaning towards Central to win again in this rematch. 
Yeah, uh, just because of their two seed, these two teams did play against each other. Central nipped the Wildcats 20 to 16 in that last game. That game was at Brawley. This quarterfinal game will be at Central. It should be one of the better matchups in D4 and one of the better atmospheres. If you've never been out to the desert, the Bell game is something to watch. You won't be able to watch it this week because I'm sure it's going to be sold out. Those fans out there show out. It's one of the better atmospheres in high school football in the San Diego area. And those two teams will play the winner of number six, San Marcos, versus number three, Ramona. Can freshman Phenom Creek Makaheli, 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 Makaheli <laughs> keep the storied season alive against the D3 runner-up Ramona? You know, Creek throws it to the best trio in high school football, Cummings, Knicks, and Ball. They account for 28 of the 31 receiving touchdowns, 139 receptions, 2,200 receiving yards. Ramona lost a couple players from last year's run. It'll be interesting to see how they battle this week against number six, San Marcos. And I think that San Marcos team, you know, we saw them run into the avocado and it, it just became too much for them a little bit, um, losing kind of a lot of games. Uh, but now I think they're kind of, you know, retooled and like ready for the playoffs. I think this is a very good matchup. It'll be interesting to see how they can keep going. Um, Crete's been phenomenal all year, played a phenomenal first round matchup as well. Um, I think I might be, root I'm not rooting, sorry picking San Marcos in this one. Um, I think they might have the edge over this Ramona team at the moment because I think they're so tough to defend with how they throw the ball, and especially with the wide receiver options that you mentioned. We've we've never seen a freshman put up these type of numbers at the quarterback it's been position. Ridiculous. It, it is quite impressive. Uh, but now we move on to D3. Let's first start off with talking about Del Norte taking on San Pasqual. This San Pasqual team hasn't gotten enough love, and they are on fire lately. Noah Snyder has been going off at the running back position and it seems to make a, a play of the week nominee almost every single week um ah, this del norte team though we have seen them be very good at times they do they might be just a little too young um maybe then you know maybe they need they a little bit more expen experience yeah. but you know they're more than capable of winning this game i might be giving the edge for the upset here with san pasqual okay yeah san pasqual has a senior leadership as well you talked about noah snyder these two teams played week three Snyder had 100 rushing yards and 100 receiving yards, along with two touchdowns. So that was, is a player that the Del Norte Nighthawks are going to have their eye on. You talked about the defense. The Eagles, the Golden Eagles defense is flying around. They have held their last six of seven opponents to seven points or less, and they've rushed for 2,200 rushing yards. It's the balanced attack of Del Norte versus the rushing attack of San Pasqual. Del Norte has guys on the outside. Chris Guzman, a great dual threat running back, catches the ball out of the backfield. And you can't mention this offense without mentioning Ty Olson, underclassman of the year, has over 1,000 uh, receiving yards and 14 receiving touchdowns, and he could also do it on special teams. So the combination of a good run game and dominated defense has been the recipe for San Pasquale. Uh, it will be a good uh, rematch from week three after Del Norte beating San Pasqual 34-17. And the winner of that will get uh, Point Loma versus Morse's winner. That'll be another rematch from a great City League matchup. Um, I think I'm gonna favor Point Loma again to beat them. Morse's defense, I don't know if they're I don't know if they're up for it against this Point Loma offense. This Point Loma offense has been turning it on lately, even after losing their quarterback. Um, I think Point Loma is just probably a little bit too much for them, but we have seen this Morse defense, I mean offense go off, especially uh, Omar Logan Ramirez. We talk so much about Aliante Logan, Demarion Wright, Johnny Mosey, but Logan Ramirez had a, a phenomenal game. Um, 
I, I would think more steps up again, especially, you know, getting a chance to get the rematch, but I think Point Loma walks away with this one. Morris and Point Loma faced off in the City League opener. Point Loma getting the best, powering through with a 42 to 12 win. They bottled up right on offense, or they bottled up right on the defensive side for Point Loma and exploded on offense with 332 rushing yards. We talk about defense. Point Loma only allows 13 points per game. Morris, double that at 28 points per game. And Point Loma is really playing exceptional ball down this stretch, winning their last eight of nine games. Morris will need to buckle down on defense to win this one. And on the other side of the bracket, it'll be UC taking on RBV. This RBV team, you know, really fell off in the second half of the season, but they came alive again. Yeah. Underhill having a great game. Um, I would probably give the favorite, though, to UC. I think they're just too much. They have too many great players at multiple positions. And, you know, we see Sam Cooper and what he does for that offense and on defense as well. Uh, the winner of that game will be taking on the winner of Bishops and Imperial. This Bishops team, I think, is one of the most underrated in the county. Um, we see it from uh, Fierro at quarterback, Moore at wide receiver. And they, I think they're a really good team. Don't sleep on Imperial as well. Also a great squad, but I think I would be taking Bishops in that matchup. Bishops averages a D3 best, 42 points per game. Imperial has a freshman running back, Roderick Robinson's younger brother. He's going to have to bring that Robinson magic <laughs> in this one. Uh, Bishops is a team we don't talk about enough, but averaging 42 points per game, Imperial is going to have to bring bring the heavy hitters on offense for this one. And now we move on to D4, and really the big matchup I want to look for is Chula Vista going to the island to take on Coronado. I mean, as a Spartan yourself, to speak about how how they've gotten to this point so far has been incredible, but they are more than capable of going on and keep winning this game. As the 11 seed, they are the lowest seed to advance to the quarters, uh, beating Calexico 35-27. It's been the running game. Giovanni Barrios has been burning rubber of late, 12 yards per carry, and has been a key part to the seven-game winning streak of the Spartans. FedEx would be proud of this ground game, averaging 200 yards per game recently. And as you mentioned, they draw very well coached Coronado team. It's really the three-headed monster of Barrios, Pedroza, and Alvarez. And the Spartans are getting quality play out of their sophomore quarterback, Isaac Baca. Yeah, and you know, Coronado's no pushovers, especially on the <laughs> island. We saw them uh, in a very close game against a very good Crawford team. So that will be a great matchup, honestly, in D4. Uh, but the other one, the winner will be playing the La Jolla Country Day and Palo Verde winner. Um, I think Palo Verde is probably ranked a little too low. I think they play a lot better than a yes. seven seed, honestly, um, especially with that run game. I would expect I would expect more of the same from them. Uh, La Jolla Country Day, I don't know how to feel about them. I saw them play a very good uh, Santa Fe Christian squad. They played a very good game against them, but I, I don't know if they're capable of stopping that running attack. It's a pass-heavy team of La Jolla Country Day versus a run-heavy team of Palo Verde. Two versus seven. La Jolla Country Day likes to throw the rock. 238 pass attempts for senior quarterback Garrett Bassapizio, who's also a solid basketball player, I might add. And it's really the backfield of Palo Verde. Running back Marcus Macon, 23 rushes for 254 and four rushing touchdowns. And he also had a 60-yard reception that he took to the house. So that's a guy to keep your eye on. Uh, 1,641 rushing yards. Best out of any running back outside of Division One. Xavier Bejarano, he didn't get a carry last game, so I'm not too sure what's going on with that. But it's the passing tack of the Tories versus the run game of the Yellow Jackets. Um, Yellow Jackets played and beat Mount, Mount Miguel, who had a great passing attack. So they're, they're ready for this one. 
And then on the other side of the bracket, we have number one Fallbrook taking on number nine Francis Parker. Uh, Chris Bosch obviously has been phenomenal for Fallbrook. But real quick, I just want to talk about the, how Chris Williams is willing this Francis Parker team to victory. Yes. Three yes. touchdowns, two interceptions, one forced fumble that Hilltop did fall on in the end zone for a touchdown, but we still count it. Um, right. And then the game-winning field goal. He's everything for them. And we've seen that time and time again. We've, we've talked about it time and time again. Um, is Francis Parker capable of beating a very good Fallbrook team, though? I, I'm not so sure. This might be where the buck stops here. I, I would kind of favor Fallbrook in this one. It's the set, When you talk about rushing yards, right, it's the second best back in D4 and Chris Williams, 1,443 rushing yards versus the fourth best back in Chris Bosch. So whoever, whichever back has the best game has, has the best chance of pulling that one out. And the winner will take on uh, the winner of the Montgomery and Mission Bay rematch, a game that we all look forward to earlier this year with Montgomery coming out on top. Montgomery's defense has been phenomenal this year. we also seen Mission Bay being getting very good as well with Ethan, Ethan Silber at quarterback. Which way do you see that one going? I think Montgomery might pull it out again because they have a great running game as well. So I was at that game week five, South Bay game of the week. The Aztecs chewed off nine and a half minutes on that opening drive. That's insane. They really kept the Buccaneer offense out of rhythm that whole game because they were just chewing up the clock. Isaac Cervantes, 33 rushes for 230 yards. Montgomery relies on that solid defense and a solid run game. It's the reason why they have eight wins. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what adjustments are made. As you mentioned, Ethan Silver, it was the first time Mission Bay didn't score a touchdown. They averaged 33 points per game. So the adjustments in this one are going to be fun to watch. And now we move on to D5, and really one of the teams that I've been looking forward to watching the most gets a really tough matchup, Army-Navy against Mar Vista. I would, I'm, I'm high on Army-Navy. I think they've had a phenomenal year. they got a phenomenal pass rush as well. But this Mar Vista team, they just continue to put up points. Um, Alex Wojcik throws for, feels like, 100 touchdowns every game. Uh, Elijah Clark has been balling out these last couple of games as well. I don't know how to see this one playing out, especially for an Army-Navy team that seems like they have a chip on their shoulder. This hasn't been a great program over the last couple of years, and now they have such this great team. I think they're going to seize the opportunity, and I think they might be able to beat this Mar, Mar Vista uh, offense. Army-Navy has nine shutouts on yeah. the season. I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't think you've ever seen that. If anyone has ever seen that, please let me know. I would love to see. They've only allowed 13 points in their only loss to Classical Academy. We've heard this combination before. Big run game, good defense. That's the recipe for success. Army-Navy has been that program to rely on that recipe. And you talked about Mar Vista. Alex Wozczyk, eight passing touchdowns. He tied the previous record of eight passing touchdowns, which was held by Alex Wozczyk. <laughs> he really has cemented himself as the best quarterback coming out of this program. They're not short on talent on the offensive side. So it's going to be a great offense versus defensive matchup. Which one prevails is going to be the, the deciding factor in that one. And then the winner of that will play one of my favorite teams this whole year in Crawford uh, versus Castle Park's winner. Castle Park's Liddell Hampton went off this last, uh, this last Friday night, had an incredible game. I think, though, this Crawford team has probably been a little too much for everybody, and I think they They're might good. be a little bit too much for everybody in, in D5, although there are some very great teams, especially the 1-4 through four seed in D5, but I love this Crawford team. I love what they do on the defensive side of the ball, but their offensive side of the ball with Hamadi Sharif has been phenomenal, and uh, they're a team that really loves to play for their coach, and I think that makes all the difference. Matt Marquez has done a great job. They have a 
great dual threat quarterback in Gavin to win 22 total touchdowns on the season. These two teams played in week four. Do you know the score of that game? I believe Crawford uh, beat him up pretty good, right? 16 to nine, oh, my shoot. friend. I would have been on, I would have said the same thing you said as well. 16 to nine in week four. Talk to Coach Paco Silva uh, when they played against Chula Vista. He wanted this rematch. So you talked about Hampton, senior running back Jeremiah Simler also averages about six yards per carry. Crawford brings balance on offense. They're opportunistic on defense and they play well on special teams. So it's going to be a tough out. But Castle Park played in tough week four. So it'll be an interesting matchup in this one. Wow, I did not know that. That's, that's going to be makes it even better because I think yeah. someone has to rise up to this to the level of Crawford and stopping that offense is really the only shot you have of beating this Crawford team. Um, on the other side of the bracket, we have number two Escondido Charter against number seven El Cajon Valley. I've loved what Escondido's Charter has done this year. I think they have a great offense as well. Um, and the winner of that will be playing number three Classical versus number six Vincent Memorial's winner. Another great team in Classical Academy we talk about. I believe they're the only ones to not get shut out by uh, by Army Navy, so they have a great offense as well. Really, this D5, there's so many great teams and great storylines with those one through four seeds. How do you see that other side of the bracket kind of playing out, at least for this week? Yeah, El Cajon Valley likes to run the ball. They have one of the better backs in Division Five. That's Borden. 18 rushing touchdowns on the season, leads all D5 runners. Escondido Charter relies on their senior quarterback, Skyler McMahon. He has an impressive 27 to four touchdown to interception ratio. He's thrown close to 2,000 yards. So it's going to be the running attack of El Cajon Valley versus the quarterback play of Escondido Charter. And we talk about guys at the quarterback position. Jacobo Elias is one of those guys we just don't hear enough about because he does play at a small school. Stat line is as follows. 2,357 passing yards, 23 passing touchdowns, completing 60% of his passes. And he also rushes. He also uses his legs yeah. as well, 525 rushing yards and seven touchdowns. Classical Academy runs the ball 75% of the time. So just like that other game in this bracket, it's going to be the quarterback play of Jacobo Elias versus the run game of Classical Academy. Wow, awesome games for this whole week, and that's going to do it for us here. Uh, stay tuned tomorrow for PPR Podcast number 70, where former NFL quarterback and former Patrick Henry uh, head coach JT O'Sullivan joins Paul and Burt on the number 70 podcast. But for now, get out there on Friday night and Thursday night to watch the games, and that'll do it for us.